So Money Episode 324, year-end wrap, greatest lessons learned from failure. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. So Money is brought to you today by Wix.com. Need a website? Why not do it yourself with Wix.com? No matter what business you're in, Wix.com has something for you. Used by more than 70 million people worldwide, Wix.com makes it easy to get your website live today. You need to get the word out about your business. It all starts with a stunning website. With hundreds of designer-made customizable templates to choose from, the drag-and-drop editor, and even video backgrounds, there's no coding needed. You don't need to be a programmer or designer to create something beautiful. You can do it yourself with Wix.com. The site empowers business owners to create their own professional websites every day. When you're running your own business, you're bound to be busy, too busy, too busy worrying about your budget, too busy scheduling appointments, too busy to build a website website for your business. And because you're too busy, it has to be easy. And that's where Wix.com comes in. With Wix, it's easy and free. Go to Wix.com to create your own website today. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Today, we're going to close out our year-end reviews. Tomorrow, we're back to our regularly scheduled Ask Farnoosh episodes. I've had such a great time this week reminiscing and looking back at some of the great interviews of the year. Now, before we jump into today's theme of the greatest lessons learned from failure, I want to wish you all a happy So Money New Year filled with health, wealth, and success. I hope that you've all had a great time celebrating today, tonight. I'll be having an early celebration at home. Some uh, families in my building are getting together and doing a potluck on the second floor, which is our common space. And we'll be joining in on the fun there so the kids can run around and the parents can have some uh, some adult beverages as we, as we need it. <laughs> All right, on with the show today. As I mentioned, we're going to be highlighting the greatest lessons some of my top guests have learned from their own failures. This is a standard so money question. What's your biggest financial failure? And we've heard some really astounding stories when it comes to that on the show. Kicking off the theme today, a look back at my interview with Dave Asprey, author of The Bulletproof Diet. This man lost $6 million at a very young age. I mean, can you even imagine accumulating that much money at a young age, but then losing it? That's Dave Asprey. Take a listen. Very, very, very cool. Okay. Money memories, Dave. Let's talk about an experience that you had perhaps in your childhood, perhaps more recent that was uh, very um, influential in how now you think about money and manage your, your financial life. Take us there. Back when I was 26, 27, uh, when I made that $6 million, it's, it's remarkable to think you're done like you can do whatever you want to do for the rest of your life and then to, to lose that. So it's actually really traumatic. Even the WHO list of, of traumas says, you know, losing masses of money like that is, is like losing a family member in terms of the, the psychological stress you go through. And I, I remember back then that when I had $6 million on, on paper and, and some substantial amount in the bank that I, I thought, you know, I'll be done when I make 10. And, and I know when I would have got to 10, I would have been at 20. 
so you can always be chasing it and it goes straight back to that Labrador in your head that's looking for the stick and, and something else. So the bottom line is that a lot of people already have enough money that it's not about the money anymore. It, it's about something else. And, and what it's become about for me is um, money, as, as soon as you have your base needs met, money is, is a tool. And for me, it's a tool to help other people. And different people have different desires for money. And I realized for me to achieve some of the, the goals that I have, it, it will take money. And I have no, no guilt or reservations about that. When I was younger, and I, I look at what I, why I was going for that six or that 10 million, it, it was a fear and a want and like a psychological trap that I built for myself, it, what the, the Buddhists would call grasping. And when I stopped doing that and I started looking at this and saying, I'm really fortunate and, you know, how can I, how can I help the most people? <laughs> and I realized that, you know, having a team supporting me lets me do more good. So I apply money to having my team support me. And that has been really transformative and it's helped accelerate what I do with Bulletproof a lot. It's helped me reach more people and I get messages every day from people who lost a bunch of weight or you know, their brains work again and, and things like that. And I think that that helps make the world I live in and the world my kids are going to grow up in um, a, a better place. So for me, though, that that losing money, feeling like, honestly, I was going to die. I was losing so much money. You go through this horrible trauma. Uh, in retrospect, it was a good thing because it taught me uh, both to respect and not to fear either money or the lack of it. And so this might categorize as a financial fail, you could say, right? And But I'm curious how was it that you actually lost the uh -huh. money? How did you fail at, at my, keeping that money in the bank? My career accelerated quite a lot at that time. I was the, the youngest guy in the company to attend board meetings at a $36 billion company uh, in terms of our market cap, doing a billion dollars a year in revenue. And this is Exodus Communications, if anyone is wondering. Google's first servers were in our buildings. This was like a foundational part of the internet as we know it today. and. I was in charge of due diligence for our M&A. So when we wanted to buy a company, I was the guy who'd go in and say, is this technology going to work for us? Yes or no. And because of that, I knew all of the upcoming acquisitions. So I was blacked out. It was illegal for me to trade my stock. And when the stock started to teeter, what I should have done was quit my job, sold all of my shares and retired. Instead, what I did was I said, I can't do that. I might lose an additional, you know, $4 million in unvested equity or something. So I stayed at the company with the stock dropped from $60 a share to $5 a share, and it was illegal for me to trade it. Yep. In retrospect, I did that because it was fear of not getting everything that made me do that, even though another perspective would have been like, I have enough money, I can do whatever I want. Um, I should just, you know, walk away today. And I could have done that for six months. I didn't walk away today. And every day I was worth less and less in the bank account. And that was like just a grinding down sort of horrible feeling. And uh, there's another thing. And I, I, don't, I don't think I've ever talked about this. Um, I was with some online broker. And this is going back 15 years. Online brokers still use paper statements and stuff. And it was a, a very cutting edge one that let me do options and all this stuff. And the reports from them, I'm like, I have a couple hundred grand there. So at least I have like enough to take care of basics. Um, there was a margin on that account that I didn't even know about because I wasn't managing this stuff tightly. And because I was too stubborn and fearful to hire someone to help me manage it, 
uh, that the margin that I didn't even know I was using consumed most of the account before I noticed, which was sort of like my safety net went away because I wasn't paying attention to it. And today, the advice that translates to is hire a professional to pay attention to the stuff that you're not paying attention to. So that's why I have a CPA. A lot of people don't have a CPA. They don't have good financial guidance. They, they sort of do their stuff themselves. Um, my perspective is that I don't love that and it's not a unique value that I have. So I pay someone to do it and whether they do it better than me or not quite as good as I would do it, I don't have to think about it anymore. And that frees me up to create something new. And how did you determine who would be your CPA? Was it, did you go through a long list? Did you interview thoroughly? Um, I didn't interview well enough and it actually took me quite a while, probably three or four tries before I found, um, before I found a team that I wanted to work with. And when I say a team, you know, it's a, a small office kind of thing. Um, but that is, it's a risk. I've had some uh, over the years who probably cost me a substantial amount of money <laughs> because I didn't, I didn't choose well. Um, and that's also a fear that I had was, you know, I, I, I can't trust anyone with this, but if you don't find people that you can trust, then well, you may have trust issues or you may just not know how to hire competent people. That is episode 11 with Dave Asprey. Now, we're going to take a look back at my interview with Natalie Jill. She is also in the health space, a fitness entrepreneur. I interviewed her back on episode 172. This woman has an incredible, incredible story. She lost a tremendous amount of money following her divorce. She was a million dollars in debt and had many obstacles to overcome, including her own weight challenges. She's one of those guests that I, to this day, reference in conversations with others when the topic of perseverance or single parenting comes up. I mean, this is just a story of stories. Let's take a listen. You've had quite... The journey, uh, Ms. Jill. Uh, you know, I'm just looking at your bio, learning about you through our mutual friend. And, you know, as I mentioned in the introduction, you've lost, you lost your house, um, your retirement, you ended your marriage, you gained a lot of weight. A lot of people would have just, you know, gone down that, you know, that depression rabbit hole. Um, how did you find the emotional willpower to just say, you know what, I am better than this. I can do better than this. I will see the other side of this. W what was that moment? Because it's, it, was it just a moment or were there moments? You know, it's such, it's, first I want to say, I'm just like everybody else. So I'm not some superhero that just, you know, doesn't deal with depression or rock bottom or bad situations. I found myself really falling down, as you called it, the rabbit hole. Um, it, for about a year, it was gradually declining. And it was really weird because it was a time in my life where I was supposed to be by everybody else's measures, super happy. <laughs> I had this great job. I had this, what looked like this really nice house and happy marriage. The two dogs, the picket fence, the whole, you know, nine yards. And I'm, and I'm pregnant with my first daughter and I'd always wanted a baby. So from the outside, um, looking in, people thought I was very happy. And I was conflicted because I thought I should be. I thought, what's wrong with me? I have everything I thought I wanted. Um, but I was being torn up inside because there was a lot of secrets um, people did not know about me because I was in that world that so many get caught up in of trying to be that perfect person. You know, you don't want to let people know you you don't have it together. Um, and, and what I mean by that is I had a lot of financial stress going on. We had definitely fallen into the biting off way more than we could have chewed. Um, I was in a, an unhappy marriage. Um, we were both unhappy. 
um, fighting all the time. You know, you add the pregnancy hormones on top of it. <laughs> um, I was not motivated with my, my job all of a sudden. It just started, I, I started feeling trapped that I had this life everyone else wanted me to live and I wasn't happy. So it started there. Um, and then what happened was I, during my pregnancy, obviously turning to, to comfort foods, gaining a lot of weight, um, not doing my regular workout stuff, which is all normal stuff when you're pregnant. A lot of people say, well, I went through that too, but I started to become this person I didn't recognize. Um, just more of a lazy, I describe it just depressed and want to get out of bed, just wanted to eat all the time. Comfort food, didn't want to move, um, fighting with my husband at the time. So when my daughter was born, we, everything just kind of came crashing down. Uh, when we filed for divorce, um, we didn't have a choice. We had to, it was just not going to be a healthy environment to stay married, um, for my daughter. And we both agreed on that. And we, I had never experienced in my life this financial stress. And when I say financial stress, I know a lot of people say, Oh, you know, but you had the house, the cars, whatever. You know, what people don't realize is if, if you do bite off more than you can chew, and a lot of people do that, you can start stuff getting suffocated by that. And I remember not being able to pay my mortgage and feeling that full pressure of being house poor and having these bills come in and, and stressing out that if, oh my gosh, if I pay this bill, I'm not going to know how, how am I going to buy food or put gas in my car? Um, how will I get help with my daughter? How will I, um, how will I buy diapers if I pay for my mortgage right now? It was, it was that weird place I had never thought I would be. And I had to make a very rough decision um, to one, take a voluntary job demotion because I was traveling so much. And I thought, if I'm going to be a single mom, I can't be jumping on a plane constantly. And that hurt me more financially. And then the housing market crashed and I couldn't sell my house because I thought oh, I'll sell it and go someplace smaller. Wouldn't, would, couldn't sell it. So I had to make a decision to stop paying my mortgage. And it was really scary, um, but I, I did it. I had to. And what I <laughs> didn't realize at the time is you can have perfect credit your whole life. You can never be late on a bill. You miss a big mortgage payment, your, everything's going to start falling apart. Yeah. So I, I remember going to the gas station and putting my credit card in, and it was declined. Mm. And that was a my first sense of, uh, oh, my gosh, I, I'm actually going to be powerless right now. I, I didn't pay my bills and now I don't have credit and what am I going to do? That was that the first um, thought of I'm in, I'm in deep problems right now. And um, there was, you asked about moments. There was another moment I was walking my daughter and my dogs. She's in the stroller and I'm walking and, and I'm crying as I'm walking thinking, my gosh, anyone who sees me would think I'm having this perfect life right now. And I'm just not. And I caught my, a glimpse of myself in one of those windows that you, it looks like a mirror mm-hmm. that you see your reflection. And I just didn't recognize who I was. I was really overweight all of a sudden. And I had things hanging on me that I didn't <laughs> think belong there. And I, I looked old and haggard and I just, I didn't recognize who I was. And, and that's when I got home and put my daughter down for a nap and had one of those ugly cries mm. and just thought, I don't really know who I am right now. <laughs> like I used to be this person striving to be perfection. And, you know, I was so self-righteous about it all and thought, gosh, everybody should have, you know, the happy marriage and the the perfect house and the nice car and be look like this. And all of a sudden it was like, what, what was all that for? Um, who am I? And I don't have any friends to talk to about this. And this is just bad. Um, and that was my, that was my rock bottom so you <laughs> moment. Rock I remember bottom. so clearly. And, um, when you said, what did you do to pull yourself out? Well, what I did was this was a, this was 
it was spiraling downhill for about a year, but there was about a three month of this is really bad. And I didn't even want to be here. I just, but I had a daughter and I, that was what was keeping me getting up in the days. Um, that was all I cared about was my daughter. And I remember thinking in my, that rock bottom moment that day, um, what did I used to tell people in corporate when I was the sales leader and the, you know, motivating people? And how did I get people fired up each day and to think about going after goals? And I thought, you know, I used to tell them, uh, talk about writing out goals and making a vision board, but I'd ever, never actually done it myself. And I, I just started thinking about that. And I said, I'm going to just do what I used to tell people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I did. I, I sat down. I wrote out. I remember I picked uh, short term, long term and fantasy. And I started with fantasy. And I said, if I could have like this new perfect life, what would it be? And I just wrote out crazy things, things that I thought would be impossible, but I didn't care. I just, what, what would that be? What would it look like? And then I went from well, that. What point was on to, the list? What was on the fantasy list? I had like I would be doing. I would love the way that I looked um, so much so that I would you know be a fitness model. I thought that's really random. You know, I'm here. I was in my late 30s and completely out of shape. And I thought that would be fantasy. You know, I, I would look love the way I look, and I could be a fitness model on a cover magazine. I just thought that would be cool, and I could have a house that I could afford and not be stressed about, where I can look at the ocean every day. I thought that was one of the things. And then I thought I could be in a really happy relationship again. And this person would love my daughter. Um, And then I said, I would want, I would want to know that I made a million dollars that I made on my own. That is not, um, you know, not something I had to do for somebody else. It was something I created and did. That was a fantasy, a million dollars. And that I would have no debt and listed things like that. Um, and I put lot pictures of happy couples, you know, happy mom and daughter, this ocean view. I put a million dollar picture and I still have this vision board picture. I still have the vision board. Um, I wrote all this on the goals and then I started making a vision board. I said, okay, let me, if I can't, if I'm not living this right now, I need to look at it every day. So, and I want to know it's possible. So I started tearing out of magazines, all of these little images and made a vision board. And I, and I put that up um, on my wall so I could see it every single day. Then and that's what, how I started. And then what were the steps that you took? So I get the vision board. I'm a big fan of visualization. Mm-hmm. It's a huge uh, way to motivate yourself and keep you focused. But mm-hmm. then what were the, what was the first thing that you actually did that moved the needle in a material way? Sure. What, what moved the needle was I, when I wrote down those goals, I started with the fantasy and made the vision board. But then I made long term and I said, OK, if these were going to be a possibility, what would have to happen in the next year? Started That was my long term. What would need to happen in the next year? And I listed things like um, I didn't say how I would do it, but I just listed. Well, I'd have to get in shape. <laughs> that was first. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd have to somehow um, find an affordable house. You know, I just started listing like what would have to happen. Um, I'd have to, I listed that. And then I broke it down to day to day and I tried to um, detach myself from the long term and fantasy with that point. I said, if I were going to just do three things every day, um, three things that would move me in the direction of those things, what would they be? I just wanted to list like a list of like 30 things I could do that if I pulled three of those every day, it would get me towards the goal. And I, I wrote things like I would, I, I, they were very, very, um, they were specific, but they were not too specific that they wouldn't happen. I said things like, I'm going to drink more water. Hmm. Um, I'm going to move my body every day. Um, I wrote things like I'm going to, I didn't say anything I wouldn't do. I didn't say things like I'm not going to eat sugar or fat. I said things like what I was going to add, like I'm going to eat, you know, seven fruits and vegetables every day. <laughs> I'm going to read every day a little bit more about the best nutrition. 
I added all these little things that I could add every day. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to wake up and actually get dressed, not just be in my pajamas all day. (laughs) You know, I just listed things like that. Love that story, right? Natalie Jill, complete poster woman for triumphance, perseverance, and hard work. I find that what she did to get herself out of the debt and of the depression was so liberating to hear. She really overcame this mess all by herself and look at her now in the best shape of her life, leading a very successful business. Next up, Let's talk about failure with Ramit Sethi. He's a good friend, one of my mentors. He's the author of the New York Times bestseller, I Will Teach You to Be Rich. This is episode 85, Ramit's mistake that cost him six figures. What would you say is your your number one financial failure? What happened? What went wrong? And how did you overcome it? I think the failures just... I think failures are very consistent, actually. If you're trying to do new things you're going to fail a lot. In fact, I have a tag in my Gmail account called failures. And my belief is if I'm not adding something to that folder every so often, then I'm not trying hard enough. The first financial failure that I can remember was, speaking of scholarships, the first scholarship check I got was for $2,000. I believe it was 2000 or 5000 And they wrote that check to me, directly to me. They sent me a check. That's a lot of money for a 17-year-old. And, you know, it's 1999, 2000, stock market is on fire. What do I do? I turn around and take that money and invest it straight in the stock market. And I lost half of it almost overnight. I still remember some of the stocks I invested in. Excite at home, bankrupt. JDSU, (laughs) bankrupt. And, And I mean, first of all, investing in stocks isn't even what most individual investors should do. So what the hell was I doing? I lost that money and I said, all right, I better learn how money works. But the failures have only gotten bigger. Just two years ago, we made a bad technology decision for my business and it cost us $100,000. That was the price of the contract. Wow. We didn't even use the software once, but we had already signed the contract. And I said, I tried to be nice. Hey guys, can you just refund our money? They're like, sorry, no. And that was a $100,000 mistake. So, you know, I try to minimize mistakes, but I also recognize that as you grow and as you're trying new things, Sometimes mistakes are inevitable. That's okay as long as you're not um, bringing the whole company or bringing your own personal, uh, you know, fortune down with it. Mm. I would have still gone crazy and back crazy with that company. I would have been like, "Give me my money." I, would, I you mean, know what? You know what the crazy thing was? Yeah. There was there, there was nobody to blame but myself. Mm. I had put someone in charge of it. I hadn't done correct oversight of his work. And of course, he, I fired him immediately, but there was no one else to own up to it except me. And I had to laugh because what else are you going to do? The, I signed the contract. The company is technically right. You know, of yeah. course, it would have been nice for them to give me my money back, but it's, you know, it's business. Right. And I said, guess what? I'll never make that mistake again. So I think my friend said it very well. He said, I don't mind making a mistake once, but I will never make it twice. I love the idea that Ramit has to visualize our failures. Put them in a folder, in an email. I mean, you don't want to harp on your failures, but you do want to remember the lesson so that it doesn't happen again, right? And as he says, it's a sign of working harder. Now we're going to end our year-end wrap with how we started the year with my first guest, Tony Robbins. He shares some important advice with listeners on overcoming your fears and dealing with failure. And I had asked listeners for their questions going into the show. Let's take a listen. 
So what you have to do is you have to be honest with yourself about what's happening. You're really afraid to fail. That's just the truth. We all are. It's human nature. We're afraid that, you know, I, as long as I keep talking about the future, it's an exciting future. But what if I commit to it and it doesn't work? And now I got to deal with the deepest fear all human beings have. I'm not enough. And if I'm not enough, the deeper fear is that I'm not worth loving. I mean, that's what we connect unconsciously as human beings. And so what you have to do is got to say together, you know what we're going to do? If I'm going to try and make the perfect decision, I'll never make a decision. The most successful leaders on earth, you are a leader if you can make decisions because so few people do in this world today. People spend, spread their preferences. They talk about what they want. They skate on the surface. They don't go deep and master anything. If you decide... I'm going to make the tough decisions. Then you're going to be an effective leader. And the first tough decision is, in order to do something, I got to give up other things. I got to pick one thing. It's not going to be perfect, but I'm going to make it perfect. I got to pick something that I'm driven by. And if you don't know what it is, you got to pick one thing and go full towards at it. You got to give it its time. You got to say, I'm going to spend the next 18 months doing this. If I find out I'm wrong, I'm going to find out quicker than I spend the next 18 months still looking at 15 opportunities. So I think the bottom line is, you got to face your fear. And the way to do that often is turn fear on itself. And you say in your book, let your disappointments drive you to find new answers. I highlighted that and I have it stuck on my wall now. That's awesome. And now Ray wants to know, what is the best way to deal with your own fear of failure after a bankruptcy or other financial disaster? And I picked this question because I think a lot of Americans are still suffering the aftermath of the you know the, the great financial crash of 2008 2009 and so what do you say to these people who feel still financially fragile and and vulnerable well I, i'd say to somebody of that nature that again you have two choices you can do nothing and then we know what's going to happen you've already failed because you're not going to earn your way to a financial future you're only going to do it by taking earnings and converting yourself into an owner into an investor or building a business right that's the only ways you're really going to be able to do this so I don't care what you've been through. It sounds horrible, but I've been through it as well. I mean, I've had bigger fish to fry. Somebody comes to me and says, you have a tumor in your brain, you may die. You know, I've buried four parents, three fathers and a mother. I've been through so many things that, quite frankly, we need to stop talking about the story of what we've been through, and we got to focus on what it is we're going to create. Because anybody who really does go through extreme stress and really deals with it and just stops telling the story about it, an interesting thing happens. Keep telling the story. Every time you tell the story, you feel the fear again. But you go, you know, this happened one time. You don't talk about it anymore. You just focus on what you want to deliver. The game changes. And here's what happens when you make it through extreme stress. And by the way, everybody's going to go through it. Everyone's going to lose a family member. Everybody's going to find a time where either you or someone you care about has a significant health challenge. Everyone's going to face some ridiculous financial or job or career challenge. We're all going to face it at some time, or you're going to have somebody steal something. It's going to happen. Aren't you glad you showed up at this positive podcast? But it's, <laughs> but it's true. But it's true. So I'd say to that individual, what you really got to do is you got to put the story to bed. Divorce your story of your past and marry the truth of what you do today is all that matters. If you marry the truth and act on the truth, your life will change. If you keep sharing the story, and by the way, we do this because we think if we tell people, I really want to do it, but I'm just fearful because I lost all this money in the past. It gives us an excuse why we're not doing it now. It's not that we're weak. It's not that we have no guts. It's not that we have no courage. It's just this horrible thing happened to me. We all love to plan or point the finger to something we can't control that's not our fault. Gotta love Mr. Tony Robbins. You know, I actually went to one of his events, his Unleash the Power Within events this year. 
He has this brilliance of bringing clarity and motivation to his audience in the moment. I mean, you go there, people have come from all over the world, all walks of life. They're walking into this event depressed, broken, uh, needing some motivation, and he delivers it. It is like nothing else you'll witness. Thank you to Tony Robbins for everything that he does for helping put this podcast on the map. I hope you have a wonderful New Year's Eve. Tomorrow, Ask Farnoosh returns. In the meantime, play it safe. See you back here tomorrow. Hope your night, your New Year's Eve is so money. <laughs>